Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Chili Technology, makers of the Chili Pad and the Uller. If you've been around us for a second, you know that we are exposed to a lot of technology, a lot of supplements. People are like, we have the thing that's going to change everything. And honestly, most of the time it's not true. But I want to say that using the chili pad changed my life. That's true. I'll tell you that before we found the chili pad years ago, Kelly was a hot and sweaty sleeper and never was able to cool off. Dude, I would I would have to throw the legs out. I mean, I had fans one on my head. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that the Uller or the chili pad circulates cold water underneath my sheet all night long. So what ends up happening is I never overheat. In fact, I sleep better, I don't wake up, and I wake up ready to go. It has changed my life. And on because I actually tend to run cold, I actually sleep with the chili weighted blanket, which also circulates cold water. And what's so cool about it is I can be under this feeling of heavy weightedness even in the middle of the summer and not get overheated. It's like sleeping inside the womb, I'll be honest. So not only did I see a direct change in my sleep recovery scores, in my sleep density, right? Because sometimes we can't control the amount of sleep we get, but we can start the quality of the sleep we get. Um, I started talking about this and we have a whole bunch of people going through sort of age-related hormonal changes in our life. Um, and I will say that at the tops of society, all those friends, all the way down to my mother-in-law, we put them on the chili pad to help modulate and regulate sleep temperature, and it changed everything. So look, we are huge, huge fans. These guys and gals and people are extraordinary. The company is great, and this will change your life. Seriously, it is the number one product that Kelly recommends to anyone and everyone that he knows. So... I recommend you check it out. We both highly recommend it. I mean, I sent one to Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, Drew Brees. I mean, if you're in my family, I was like, you need to get one of these things. It's pretty remarkable. If you want to get one or try it out, go to chilitechnology.com slash TRS, where you can get 25% off the chili pad and 15% off the Uller. No discount code needed. E.C. Sinkowski is the founder of Optimize Me Nutrition a company dedicated to making nutrition easy through digital education products and corporate wellness programs. The mission of Optimize Me Nutrition is to provide solutions for anyone to improve their weight, health, and overall well-being through sustainable diet methods. Thousands have used her 800-gram challenge, a diet free of restrictive rules and have reported weight loss, increased energy, improved performance, and more. EC has an extensive scientific background, with two master's degrees and a CrossFit Level 4 certification, which enables her to translate evidence-based scientific data into practical solutions for everyday success. She also recently did a TEDx talk called An Elegant Diet, which is one of our favorite TED Talks ever. EC, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. We are very excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. If you've been on the Ready State, you and I had a, a nice talk. You were in town. Mm-hmm. We had you up and we just, you sort of laid out for us your nutritional stratagem is a lack of a better word or strategy or, or plan on uh, on sort of our site. But if we, we were bringing you on because you have seen the landscape evolve from this sort of fitness side and certainly from 
fitness into behavioral, actually, uh, adherence side. You've had a chance to look at all of the different ways of eating, and I feel like you stumbled into this gorgeous way of actually having it be practicable and actionable without any of the uh, tribalism. Can you explain how you came to come up with and decided on this eating regimen and what is it? Because it's, it's the way Juliet and I live. Yeah. So it's the 800 gram challenge uh, to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and veggies each day. And doesn't matter which fruits and veggies you pick. And also doesn't matter kind of preparation style when you're wearing, weighing it frozen, fresh, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of, kind of already hit the nail on the head of how I kind of came up with it. It's only after years of kind of trying everything else combined with coaching people. Now, most of the coaching during that time was actually with CrossFit, of course, and kind of athletic behavior and movement, but it's the same sort of ideas. You know, how do you get somebody to adhere to do something? What's kind of that balance between pushing them as a coach, but also them wanting to do it for themselves. And so I think it's really the combination of having tried all these different diet paradigms, but then also realizing that this has to be done in a really sustainable way. So I'm going to back up in time a little bit and just um, if you could let our audience know a little bit about how you, you now run a company called Optimize Me Nutrition. It's one of my favorite things to follow on Instagram. You have such a great perspective and reasonable one about so how to, reasonable. so reasonable about how to tackle <laughs> nutrition, but um, give us a little background about how you, you, you know, I know you have two master's degrees. You're generally a savage of a human. Um, how did you come to this point in your life running a nutrition company? Yeah, um, I actually started my second master's while working for CrossFit full time. We had uh, continuing education requirements under our accreditation kind of protocols. And so I didn't really know what to do for my continuing education. And I stumbled into this master's program and it happened to be that I had one of the textbooks just sitting out on my coffee table. That was one of my, my favorite references that was part of the course curriculum. I was like, oh, this could be a good fit. And of course, I was doing some nutrition stuff with CrossFit at the time. So I just started a master's really under that. And uh, of course, I ended up loving it. And as I was um, finishing up that degree, it was just too much with full-time work and the degree to kind of keep doing both. And I knew that I was ready for a new challenge and change professionally. Um, so I resigned from CrossFit starting Optimize Me Nutrition also then after I finished the degree. And I actually started with an entirely different business model. I went out kind of trying to do the one-on-one one-on-one efforts with people. And I think it's also just my experience um, and passion for education that I had with CrossFit that really has turned now into more of a educational uh, company for Optimize Me Nutrition. You uh, recently did a TED talk. Mm -hmm. How was that experience? Because, you know, I think we all know eat better. That sounds great. Like sleep more, exercise more, eat better. And then, you know, you have come into this real behavioral change approach and which we'll, we'll dive deep into, but how, what, what was your been ex- your experience with this Ted talk? Because you are basically going out there and being like religion, but 800 grams of religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the TEDx experience uh, was great. Um, you know, you do actually get a, a good amount of support and preparation. They have weekly meetings before that. So people are giving you feedback and you're performing it live for them. So that definitely helps as well from experienced people. But I just really was so grateful for the opportunity to get out there and I think put down a, a really basic common approach, um, which is just a lot of my philosophy. We can't jump to step 10 if step one isn't done. Um, 
but yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, thankfully it went well. I think what's funny is like, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you looked so calm up there. It's like, well, I did say it no less than uh, 300 times backwards <laughs> to forwards with music blaring at my apartment. I dragged Nicole Christensen to her gym, CrossFit Roots. I made her like, I went over the microphone. She was blind, <laughs> shining a flashlight in my eyes. Like, <laughs> we did all the prep for it. So um, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, but there's a lot of work that goes into eight minutes. Well, so we are obviously going to link to that TED Talk because it's just, it's really extraordinary in the show notes, but can you just give us a quick outline? Um, you know, you could probably just repeat the whole talk right here on this podcast, but absent that we, and, and I know, by the way, just for our listeners, I think it was called an elegant diet. Am I correct mm -hmm. on that? Um, you got it. Could you just sort of recap what your, the big points you made in that talk? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of confusion in nutrition because there's umpteen thousand different diets, but really the underpinnings of all those diets come down to quality and quantity, how much food you're eating and then whether that food has a lot of micronutrient density, vitamins, minerals, et cetera. And so when you start looking at diets through those lenses, you start to see that there are really not that many different diets and that there's these two principles that are underlining them all. And then it becomes a matter of, okay, well, how do we put that into application in a way that makes sense from both a health and weight and even performance standpoint? And I think that's where some diets go awry because they're really concerned with weight at the time or they're really considered with maybe optimal performance. But I don't know. I, most people I talk to and work with want the combination of you know, both body composition and health and performance, not any single one of them. So then ultimately it was just presenting the 800 gram challenge as a way to kind of kill two birds with one stone, right? When you focus on quality to a me measurable standard, you then also start to get quantity in line as well. It really has been, so, you know, when people hear diet, what we think of is hunger. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and restriction, like, and that's restriction. It, like a restriction, like I'm taking things out. I'm denying myself. Like I tell everyone I'm going on a diet. Here we go. And I have to tell you, I think the thing that I love the most, and again, I probably mentioned this before last time we talked, you know, is that I remember sp spending a, a difficult summer with my father, who was a like the great Santini. I was away from my parents. I was left alone a lot. And I discovered I could self-soothe with food, right? Mm -hmm. And I, and so even today, I, I came back after like visiting my dad and, and like the, after like a kindergarten or first grade and my, I'd put on like 20 pounds and my mom was like, what? And, and I was like, yep. Food is my friend. And um, even today, I love to feel full. Like that definitely mm -hmm. is a feeling that is deep in my brain. And I have to tell you, you sort of flipped that on its head for me because you're like, oh, if you want to feel full, just eat 800 grams, <laughs> which is what, 1.74, seven, uh -huh, something, like yeah. something like that, pounds of vegetables and fruits. And I guarantee you, I mean, I think I remember someone saying, like, eat three cups of broccoli, let me know you're still hungry. Right. But you know, here we are. And if I crush a salad bag, I'm like, can't chew anymore. <laughs> and I'm, I'm only at like 150 grams of salad at that point. So yep. you've really filled an important niche for me, which is I want to feel, you know, satiated and yep. full. Is that part of this 800 grams? And where did 800, what's that magic number? Because yeah. it really is kind of a rad number. Yeah, it, it actually is directly from a study, the authors Un et al. 2017 in the International Journal of Epidemiology. It was during my master's and I was doing some research on quality diets and inflammation. And of course, the Mediterranean diet is up there. Um, but I came across this study and they were looking at fruit and vegetable consumption relative to health outcomes. And what they found that when people consumed up to 800 grams, their risk of 
stroke, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and even all-cause mortality went down. And so that's where the number directly came from. But you know, of course, the study wasn't looking at it from a standpoint of like, let's make this a diet. They were looking at relative risk. And so I, I was playing with other different diets at the time, but I, was, I immediately was like, wow, what about that? What, what does 800 grams look like? You know, what would be the rules on that? So I really did then just implement it for a while and played with it to understand caloric load and macronutrients and what would be the rules? Does tofu count? Does avocados count? Does olives count? Because when you put a diet out there, you actually you have to have all the rules ready as well. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's when I just started playing with it. And of course, you know, came to the conclusion that you have that it's, it's a large enough volume that's doable, but it's also a large enough volume that you can feel full. Um, and you start to push out those snacks and all the other things that sneak into our diet that really are the problems with weight and health to that matter. Yeah. There's, there's no room for, you know, like chips and cookies and cause you're like, yeah. the other, <laughs> the other thing is that's really remarkable. And I really appreciate this because, you know, we have to have an, a conversation about range of motion and your ability to move in, in your world. And what we find is that people have been really just poorly prepared through their environments, through their education system, through their families. And so when we, we have, when we begin a conversation with people about restoring their ability to move freely, we have to start at the basics. And one of the things that's been really great about handing off this 800 gram challenge to our friends and like the, the guy who runs the pool, you know, who lost 40 mm -hmm. pounds. Cause I was like, Hey, eat more apples. <laughs> Is that he, you can really approach this anyway. And, and one of the things that happened, was, you know, I was like, well, can, can I eat 800 pounds of apples? I asked you this and you're like, knock yourself out. I mean, you'll do it for <laughs> a day for or it. two, yeah. but then you're going to get digestive bored. System might be a little <laughs> and then jacked. you're going to, and then you're going to add the dreaded nuclear banana. And then you may <laughs> eat cause you're going to, you start to realize, you know, that, that if you can, and that fruit is not the enemy, it's not the, the, the reason why we're so fat Correct. Or, or so metabolically deranged, but it really allowed me to, to work at a level that was accessible to me. And I really have appreciated that because a lot of people don't have organic chard or kale or 17 totally. weird radishes, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've obviously have tried a lot of different diets over time and I think just as a person anyway, I hate being micromanaged. <laughs> and you just sometimes Act. with these diets, it's like, I don't know, have these people like lived in 2020 or 2019? Like, <laughs> this is just not how it works. Like nobody measures their bell pepper to the quarter bell pepper or whatever the requirement is. And so there was a combination of that, like what's really livable. And if I'm, you know, this person that's so interested in nutrition and I don't want to stick with it, well, who is going to really want to stick with it? A, and then B, there's also just a lack of like, um, I don't know, giving people the onus on themselves to make decisions. Like no one is going to only eat bananas for 800 grams for more than, I don't know, a day. <laughs> so like ultimately, <laughs> as you said, variety starts to work its way in there just by natural behavior and national, natural taste palates. So it's just sort of like, I don't need to micromanage things that are going to work out just fine on their own. So Kelly's going to find this question annoying, but I do think <laughs> our listeners enjoy it. And that is, Give me a little snapshot into what a day of your eating looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for anybody who's uh, seen anything I post on social media knows that I hate cooking. So I'm the person who's interested in <laughs> wants to spend the least time in the kitchen. But um, 
yeah, every single day I do yogurt mixed with protein powder and a ton of berries. Um, that's a meal. Another meal is oftentimes some version of a spaghetti with like veggie noodles, you know, and maybe greens mixed into the marinara sauce with some sort of beef in there as well. I mean, gosh, that's probably four or five times a week. And then some sort of deli meat, like a deli turkey, um, either on a salad or just with a side of, you know, roasted Japanese yams, for example, the best in the biz or, you know, other fruit, something like that. So super not interesting. <laughs> no, that's good to know. I think, um, one of the things I also love about the 800 gram approach, and I know we sort of, um, address this a little bit, but just this notion about how unique it is to have a quote unquote diet that's about adding and not taking away. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that that is, again, so profound and so reasonable for people. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, I, I just, I don't know if there's a question in there. I just want to say, no. I love the approach. Um, and here's my question. Um, and I know you put an article up last year about how a lot of diet philosophies tend to create division. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sort of wondering if you could elaborate on that give us a little summary of you know what your points were there and also what do what are we getting wrong or what is the dedicated nutrition community getting wrong yeah yeah i think nutrition becomes this really divisive topic and it was just sort of um kind of explaining almost what i did in the early part of my tedx talk and it's like hey guys these are all just different riffs of quality and quantity. I mean, we can keep spinning these concepts over and over again and come up with these quote radically new diets, but they're really, you know, not that different at all. And I think there was also a messaging in there that's like, we have to stay focused on the big picture here. If we're going to have 50 million diabetics by 2050, like if somebody wants to eat low carb veggies, I mean, I can't care at all. It's like, great, knock yourself out. Like it's sort of just getting lost in the forest for the trees, but I think we're yeah, losing the forest for the trees. There we go. Um, but I think what we're, quote, getting wrong is that, and I don't think it's a malicious intent, people will actually have done two, three diets, not see success, and I'll just use paleo as an example, and then they'll go on paleo, and they find massive success, and so they think that's the magic. They think that's the one that works, and what they don't understand is why that worked in terms of quality and quantity for them. What, what rules jive with their beliefs, their lifestyles, their preferences? And so then this person becomes, you know, this paleo zealot and saying that, no, 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 I did everything else and they're all wrong and mine's right. It's like, no, 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 I finally got quality and quantity right because of these rules. And so that's where I think we're going wrong as a community. I don't mind that somebody's a paleo zealot, but it's not understanding and educating people well on the underlying physiological principles. You know, I asked uh, one of our other guests this question, but one of the trends I'm noticing, we, we did our last season on aging and longevity, um, mm -hmm. and then obviously this season on nutrition. And one of the trends I'm seeing is <clears throat> there's a lot of people who are just eating twice a day. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be sort of a trend, especially in, you know, um, athletes and nutrition folks and people who are focused on this as mm -hmm. they age. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's obviously working well for them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they have lean that, body mass. Is, is and that just a yeah. quantity hack? Is mm -hmm. that a quantity hack? Yeah, is that a quantity hack? And then also, I think what the only thing about it, and again, I don't, I'm with you, I don't judge anything that works for anybody, honestly. Mm -hmm. But it when, when I'm trying to help, you know, regular people figure out how to find a nutrition strategy that work for, works for them, it does make me cringe a little bit just because it seems super inaccessible. I mean, I think the average person is like, what? Eat right. twice a day? You know, um, it just, I think people have trouble relating to that. So 
Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So obviously as you, well, maybe not obviously as you age, but as you age, your, your metabolic rate comes down. So you need less food, first of all. And I think in our modern <clears throat> food environment, which is so packed with calorically dense goodies all the time, that it, we see weight gain and age so commonplace because all of these foods that surround us are so tasty and so calorically dense. And then combined with the fact that you need less calories as you age, it's a quite difficult. You know, you can't just go out and have dessert a couple nights a week and some glasses of wine and think you're going to have the same, you know, figure or physique. So we've got that problem. And one way to solve it is say, well, I'm just not going to eat as much. Well, how do you eat less? Probably give yourself less opportunity during the day to actually eat, right? And so this is the magic of fasting too. By actually restricting the times at which you eat, you probably will eat less. I mean, it's just like there's less opportunities to make a mistake. <laughs> but ultimately, they're still reducing quantity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the salad that you didn't have for breakfast. That's the limiting factor. Right. So you know, I just did, I'm sorry to cut you off. No. I just did, I've been doing a, my master class and we look at data on our diet, including the 800 gram challenge. And the other day I did, you know, 800 gram challenge. There was a total of 300 calories in it. I mean, <laughs> 300 calories in the, in the choices I did, cause it was more of a veggie day. And it was just like, yeah, it's not the salad at breakfast. It's just not. Okay. <laughs> That's a, uh, um, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about this approach is that it really does just pack micronutrients in. Can you explain why that's important? Mm -hmm. You alluded to it in some of the research around morbidity and mortality, but I think you sort of back into this thing. You're like, oh, no, no, eat more. Don't, don't worry about the other stuff because there's not going to be any room for that other stuff. You really, mm -hmm. like, you just don't want a bar of chocolate when you're mm -hmm. stuffed. But can you talk about why the micronutrient is so important and why this versus like a bulletproof coffee is maybe a, right. a, a solution that's a little bit more nutritionally dense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really from Dr. Bruce Ames, who has the triage theory, and he believes chronic disease is micronutrient deficiency in the long term. Because, you know, micronutrients are used for a whole host of things. And so, you know, you need them right now to survive, but that might come at the expense of long-term health if you don't have enough supply. And he's done, I mean, he's in his 90s now, but uh, still active research, especially with mice and looking at vitamin K, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of the issue with um, some of our diet confusion because you can see results in the short term with, you know, I don't know, MCT coffee or whatever, but we don't know what that effect is in the long term. And so that's what's really cool when we start looking at these association studies with mortality, because it's like, great, maybe you did lose 10 pounds in your 30s, but what happens when you're 65, 70 plus? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is so interesting. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on kids and nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. I that, that, yeah. This is a, I mean, this is a huge issue, right? People are, we're seeing a generation that has just lost, lost it. It has been sort of just really failed by nutrition yeah. science and big agra and big business. And, you know, it's a real fine line with saying diets and children, mm -hmm. right? We, we've got to look at body mass and body composition as a vital sign for our children, especially in lieu of what's going on right now. But, totally. that, but it really feels like a third rail to put a kid on a diet. And also, uh, just to add one more thing before you answer that, I mean, just what you were saying about that study about sort of longevity or long-term good health and micronutrients. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, we certainly have one kid in our family who does not like to eat a micronutrient. Mm -hmm. um, and that is an ongoing uh, battle that we will continue to fight. But 
Anyway, yeah. go on. Yeah. Um, I think the kid thing is interesting. I mean, obviously I've had a lot of parents reach out to me about kids and, um, you know, I try to stay away from diets and children and just encouraging good behavior, kind of like the same CrossFit philosophy, you know, got to make it fun. <laughs> same thing with about diets and no totally rule restriction. But I actually was looking at this yesterday, in fact, re-looking at caloric needs for children. And as of two, even sedentary children need a thousand calories per day. So just on a caloric basis, something like the 800 gram challenge is feasible. Now I'm by no means recommending <laughs> the 800 gram challenge for two-year-olds, but once you start looking at caloric loads for like, you know, first grade plus, yeah, I know, please, nobody out there <laughs> do that. But once you start looking at like first grade plus, even for people that aren't that active, you know, calorie wise, you can start doing this. Um, and I've had a lot of parents report back on the 800 gram challenge with their children. And they say that it's been great. And part of the reason it's great, it's because one, as you've mentioned, we're not restricting anything Two, when we weigh the food, this can become a fun math game because now we're adding in math, but we're also actually not looking at caloric content or macronutrient content, right? We're looking at literally the weight of the object, which is just like a science experiment, right? So there's that dissociating it from, you know, calories. Um, and then finally, um, people said too, that the kids like really fought over the scale cause it was like a toy. <laughs> <laughs> so I've only heard like good things about it. Now I would never want a parent to say like, you know, drag your child out of bed and be like, you have to eat 300 grams of celery because you're short on the day. Right. I would rather them observe their child, see where they can work in fruits and veggies that they like, maybe it's all fruits. That's fine. And figure out a volume that's really good for them. Maybe it's 600, maybe it's 450. I don't know. And then just sort of like kind of encourage that and help that by having snacks cut up and in meals, all that good stuff. One of the things that I really appreciate about this approach is I think people believe that they're eating a lot of vegetables and fruits, right? <laughs> Everyone knows that. And let me, let me give you my own example. I'm like, well, your squat sucks. Tell me how much time you're actually in the bottom position of your squat. And it turns right. out you're never there. You've never, ever been there. You've been there at the bottom position of your squat for eight total seconds in the hundred <laughs> air squats that you did. And you actually didn't even go full range. You just went to some arbitrary range. And so when I actually get down to the bottom of the behavior, you haven't done any squatting and you haven't touched those end ranges of tissues. So mm -hmm. the first ever intervention we ever did with Mobility Wad back in the day was, hey, let's see if you can just squat for 10 minutes. Just accumulate this throughout the day. And people were like, oh, my shin's cramped and I, blah, blah. And, you know, they just realized they weren't doing anything. And one of the, the behaviors, I think, is that, especially with our kids, as soon as you pull out a scale or anything, what you realize is that there is a huge hole in your math and in your world around the fact that your kids actually aren't eating any fruits and vegetables. And yeah. you have like your little side salad next to your burger was, you know, eight grams, you know, of like, lettuce. and iceberg, and it was right? iceberg lettuce. I mean, I just really think that that was what was really shocking. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to obviously need to have 17 grapefruits so that I can crush this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hear that it's interesting, the different, you know, responses. Some people are like, Oh, I hit 800 grams by lunch. Other people are like, Oh, I had no clue that I wasn't eating enough, but it's definitely more on the, the latter side that they had no clue how few they were eating. And I, and I think it's just somewhat of a product of our modern food environment. There's all these quote healthy products out there that are convenient, that have a good shelf life that you can take in your gym bag. Um, and so we can slip into this notion that we're doing okay. And it's like, no, let's get back to basics. And this is, this is a really 
manageable volume. Like it's fits on a standard dinner plate. It's 500 calories or less. Like it's a very manageable volume. And I don't know, I'd say at least 90% of Americans aren't achieving it. At least 80% aren't eating enough fruits and veggies. So to hit the Enneagram challenge, probably at least 90 aren't. So could, I've heard you use the term and I don't know whether you coined it, but the term lazy macros. What does that mean? Yeah, I did coin it. It was sort of, um, you know, I what are macros? Yeah, macros. Yeah, people are weighing and measuring everything they eat to hit certain protein, carbohydrate, and fat gram totals. And so after I put out the 800 gram challenge, you know, and that was going for a bit, people were like, "But protein?" (laughs) Especially in the CrossFit community, they were like, "Okay, cool, but what about protein?" And so I was like, you know, point noted. That is the next kind of most underrepresented food group that we eat in our modern diets. Let's put a protein target and let's do it in the same way as 800 gram challenge where it's sort of a minimal standard to hit and then people can exceed it if they need or want. Um, And so, yeah, so the lazy macros are to do the 800 gram challenge and then to also add a protein target. And the number I put out there is a 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Um, But then continuing to let the person eat whatever they want to hit that target and also to whatever they want Um, in addition to the protein and 800 grams. And then I call it lazy because we're not really measuring everything. We're not measuring the glass of wine or the cooking oil in the pan. We're paying attention to these two checkpoints in the diet. And just like kind of the 800 gram challenge, by adding another checkpoint, you eat enough good stuff that typically the quantity gets in line. So, so wait, that's wait, why wait. it's a lazy version of macros. Um, if someone is following your plan, they can drink a glass of wine? <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Could I be a vegetarian and do the 800 gram challenge? Of course. Could I be a vegan and do the 800 gram challenge? Of course. Could I do keto and be the 800 gram challenge? Yes. What about paleo? <laughs> yep. What is it about that then that allows this to happen? Because you know, we, we were just talking to a, another expert who just said, hey, look, people's genetics and how those genetics were tuned and the microbiome of the gut and Mm -hmm. all of these things, we all have different interactions to the Mm -hmm. same foods. Like I guarantee you from my genetic testing, if I ate as much fat as some of my friends who are just fat adapted and fat centric, you would be fat. I would a be fat (laughs) and I would, I would have disaster pants 24 (laughs) seven. Right. And what, what I've actually been told by the, the genetic, the functional genetic people is they're like, Oh, you're lean paleo, which means Mm -hmm. you cannot process the fats the way everyone else processes the fats. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question is, you know, how has you've seen this experience across these different platforms? Cause it's like, you just did this plug and play where you're like, mm, Oh, I know how you like to eat. No problem. I'm there too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that some of it is like, Hey, we all have personal preferences and diet and just recognizing that that's okay. And like, we see cultures that eat a higher carbohydrate diet and we see cultures that eat a higher fat diet and they're okay. So it's a sort of like, if you take one of these hard lines outside of eating mostly whole and unprocessed food, you're going to quickly find people that do fine in a different way. So it was a little bit of that, just knowing that people have their own preferences and their own, you know, genetic makeup, that's fine. The other thing though, I would say about that, that I I also put with my messaging is if 80% of people aren't eating enough fruits and veggies and 70% of the people in the U S are either overweight or obese, 
I do also think that sometimes people get a little far afield when they're like, oh, should I, is an optimal or as an apple or raspberries optimal? <laughs> it's like, hold on, hold yeah, on, hold that's on. That's not the limiting like, factor. <laughs> right now, like it's not your genetic ideal plant sources that are the problem. We can get there, but we're not there yet. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, how about we tackle the low hanging fruit first? And then <clears throat> maybe after you're doing that, you can start to get, you know, really, really special. Um, since you touched on the protein thing, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what isn't isn't protein. And by way mm -hmm. of background, I recently saw a post you posted on Instagram where some like mainstream media outlet, like Shape Magazine or something, yeah. put this protein packed sandwich, which was like <laughs> which was like two slices of High wheat protein. bread and some like pea, pea shoots and I don't know, like feta or something, goat cheese. Yeah, goat um, cheese. And I, I think this is a common, uh, I think this is sort of a common misconception people have about, uh, you know, and I'm not saying there's not some protein in that, <clears throat> mm -hmm. but when we are talking about food quantity <clears throat> and trying mm -hmm. to get the most dense foods uh, into our diet, uh, maybe a you know, wheat bread sandwich is not the best way to get our protein. But anyway, could you talk about that a little bit? Somebody commented, they're like, bread and cheese sounds a lot like pizza. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> I love this um, diet. If it's goat cheese, it's, it's more bespoke, so. I know. Yeah, so unfortunately, you know, marketing and labeling um, doesn't conform to standards that I think are useful for a nutritional perspective. And so you can label something like high protein, but it doesn't take into account all the calories that are coming from carbs and fat to be able to say high protein. So something can be like eight, 10 grams of protein that can be quote high protein, but what you're not seeing is that you also are getting 30 grams of carbs and 15 grams of fat with that 10 grams. So I would prefer it for something to be called high protein that the majority of its calories are actually coming from protein. And this is the quote problem with plant-based diets. I don't have a problem with plant-based diets. I love plants, hence the 800 gram challenge. But when you want to get all of your protein from plant sources, you have to eat a lot of carbs and fat to do that as well. So it's a lot harder to get the macronutrients in line with most people's, especially body comp, performance, and health goals, um, to be relying on these foods that, yes, have protein in them, but also have a boatload of calories from the other two macronutrients. I remember being in Nepal as a young person and, and carrying my own pack and walking a long ways. And looking up and like eating lentils and rice. And that was what I had available to me in the mm -hmm. mountains, lentils and rice. But I had to eat like two pounds of dried grain <laughs> to hit like this minimum protein. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that's good. I'm going to be stuffed and puffy, but I'm going to be able to, you know, eat it. And I, you know, right. I, I just think one of the, the things that I appreciate about your approach is um, it is so reasonable and there are so many guardrails kind of built into the, the plan. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to ask is, you know, do you find, should I be worried if I have an eating disorder or I've had disordered eating or I'm, <clears throat> I'm OCD or compulsive around foods? Does, does that, mm -hmm. is that a problem around weighing things? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm definitely not the mental health professional, but of course this does flip the script a little bit. I mean, it focuses on addition and not restriction and there's no kind of upper endpoint. So out of any diet to follow, I think, you know, even for somebody who has an eating disorder, I think it would be one that should be manageable. Of course, that's within the context of what drives them, you know, 
um, more obsessive about their behaviors. So yeah, I mean, I think anybody with a true eating disorder should continue to work with a practitioner, but out of all diets where I'm not restricting anything and not weighing for caloric content, um, yeah, I mean, I would want still that person to be interested in health. And so that's really, really what we're getting with this kind of diet approach. So we are recording this podcast during the COVID epidemic. And I unfortunately, two days ago, read this article. I, I of course, know the data that you um, reported that 70% of Americans are overweight Mm -hmm. or obese. But I saw a new statistic in a New York Times article a couple of days ago that really floored me. And I don't know why, but it it was that only 12% of Americans don't have either high blood pressure, diabetes, or some kind of mm-hmm. metabolic syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why seeing it in those terms was just, you know, definitely eye-opening for me. Um, and we are obviously seeing that um, folks with <clears throat> uh, obesity, diabetes, and high blood pressure, among other conditions, that are sort of in that universe are having a much higher morbidity and mortality mm-hmm. from COVID. And so I guess my question to you is, do you think this crisis is going to sort of make our country rethink the sort of standard American diet that's clearly not working for us? Um, I think up till this point, it's been easy. You know, you're a diabetic or you have high blood pressure and you can sort of shrug your shoulders and take a pill and move on with your life. Um, mm-hmm. But man, it's a whole different conversation when you realize your lifestyle choices have put you at risk like a significantly higher risk in a gigantic pandemic. I'm not even going to say choice. Like I don't think that's right. No, not choice. Um, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Lifestyle pressure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's so many pressures and, you know, how we eat is so complicated. But um, I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I do feel like, man, we're, we're doing something wrong in this health and fitness community. Yeah. And, and I just, I guess I feel like it's so highlighted right now during this COVID pandemic. what a bad yeah. job we've done as a society. Yeah. Um, yeah. That study, I, I posted something about that. I was like, we have to redefine health because right now, you know, and, and CrossFit's been a big pusher, uh, like promoter of this since their beginning that we can't define health as the absence of disease. And that really is how it's defined. Um, you know, somebody who is pre-diabetic still doesn't have underlying underlying morbidities because they have don't have diabetes yet. And it's like, yeah, but your system is impaired relative to where it could be. So, so I don't know. I hope it does. I, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know that it will. I hope, I hope people are more inspired than ever. The way that I see it is, you know, to be honest with nutrition, the way that I see it is if we all did some basic things pretty well, 800 gram challenge, fine, whatever, eat fruits and veggies, add some protein. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm not looking for you to have six pack abs. But if we all did that, the resources that could go to some true medical research, like think about all the brain power, the resources, the time that goes into things that are preventable chronic diseases. And if we could shift that to like rare genetic diseases and cancer and like disability, I mean, I'm just, I just see it that way that it's just like we could open up the resources for so many other things that need our attention. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that this pandemic will do it. I think sometimes until you're at that moment of the one who's actually diagnosed with COVID and seeing it face, you know, firsthand that you might actually be motivated to change. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that is really the ultimate question is, you know, how do you, how do we help people make different choices that, you know, sort of account for, 
their culture and their values and their socioeconomic status. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it is really such a complicated problem. And I certainly am not sure I have ideas either, but it's just, (laughs) it's been, um, we, we may actually have a window to talk about it for the first time ever though. And really, really talk about it. Um, you had a post recently, just a couple of days ago, which I really appreciated, which was the sort of recommendations from the mm-hmm. government from 1980. Mm-hmm. Could you just talk for a second about sort of like what the highlight takeaways? Because I think it was a little yeah. bit different because we like to sort of demonize that. Mm-hmm. But what was it? When I read that, that list from the 80s, I was kind of like, whoa, this is kind of good advice. Am I wrong to have read that? That way? No, I, I, I uh, you know, the USDA has always kind of been slammed for all of our health woes. And, and so I was like, let me go to the guidelines. And of course, I've looked at the more recent ones, but they started in 1980. So I just went back to them to start. Looking. And at the time, 1980, their first publication was like 10 pages, right? And so this was their seven recommendations. And it's like, maintain an ideal weight, don't eat too much, don't eat too much sugar, <laughs> you know? Um, and, it, and they are, they were really profound and they kept, they kept those for, I think about 10 years. And yeah, they got a little weird in the nineties, but their recommendations to this day, like 2015 ones are really good. I mean, I don't agree with every statement in there, but they're really good. Just no one's following them. Um, so I just sort of see it as like, I think there's a lot of blame out there for things. And I think there's certainly some circumstances where, um, you know, again, socioeconomic status that we, we can't just make this totally black and white, but it's like people want to blame conventional medicine and big pharma and the USDA. And it's like, I don't think that's it guys. I don't think that's it. They do until they want to get their COVID vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So a couple of things I want do beans count. Yeah, they do. What? That's crazy. I know. But aren't, aren't legumes inflammatory? What about nightshades? What I mean, is my hot sauce going to kill me? So how about this? Is, um, are potatoes a vegetable? Um, yes, I'm counting them in the, they do count for the 800 gram challenge, not French fries, Kelly. Damn it. I know oven, oven roasted potatoes at home are fine. Commercially fried anything is out, but yeah, potatoes, um, beans. Now here's, this is interesting, right? So the study that I, that I saw the 800 gram number in, they actually did not include beans. And so this is where like my application of the 800 gram challenge isn't necessarily a direct reflection of the, the research study. But beans are, are shown time and time again to be associated with better health outcomes or better health markers. Um, and so this is just where we got so awry, like uh, cutting out you know, bell pepper and like black beans. It's just so far afield from what is actually happening that, um, yeah, they're definitely included in the 800 gram challenge. <laughs> okay. So if someone, one of the things that I think is the most powerful thing you do is that you regularly put pictures on mm-hmm. Instagram and on your website about what this looks like. Because I, I think, you know, people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, right? This, of all the things, you know, we've, we've had deep principle discussions about diet and nutrition, but this is something you can really wrap your head around. I don't have disease. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I want to do better for myself. I don't have a scale. Mm-hmm. Can I still get started without a scale? Or do oh, I yeah. have to have a scale? Oh yeah, you can get started. Yeah, it's about six cups and your closed fist is about the size of a cup. So you can kind of think, six closed fists throughout the day and you are good to go. And, and here's the thing. I mean, I get a lot of, again, people in the CrossFit community who are used to measuring their workouts and being real precise about that. And I love that, but people can't think that necessarily the having something be hundred percent accurate is necessarily better than approximation because the idea here is we're eating enough fruits and vegetables to push out other foods and get a healthy dose of micronutrients. And that could happen maybe at 720 grams. That could happen at 950. 
it's just about a certain volume in in a day that um, really needs to be enough to have kind of a significant effect. Let me ask you a really serious question. <laughs> okay. And I've, I've asked this to you before because for everyone listening, I've known EC for a long time. And one of my favorite things is to take pictures of random fruits and just say, could this work? And I think I sent you a picture of 800 grams of rutabaga and you're like, you could do it. <laughs> what and, even uh, is rutabaga? Exactly. Um, I have a story for you, which I've told you yeah. before, but I think our listeners will enjoy. Um, our staff at the Ready State has totally embraced the 800, 800 gram challenge. Mm -hmm. And obviously now that we're all working at home, it's, this has ceased to be a problem. But um, our staff literally will measure out their 800 grams of vegetables in the form of a salad for lunch. And they'll bring sort mm -hmm. of a Tupperware full of peppers and apples and other, you know, fruits and veggies that they've weighed out. Um, mm -hmm. And then everybody gets very defensive of their Tupperware. <laughs> you know, it, we're all sitting there in this open office and it's easy to walk by and grab someone's mini pepper or their apple or their blueberry. Julian's and then staring at me because I love to just and be then, like, oh. then the owner of oh. the owner of said Tupperware is like, oh my God, now I'm down to 790 grams. Um, so, so this has been a funny side effect um, of our all enjoying the 800 gram challenge. Yeah, I love it. I I mean, you know, I, I try to do a little bit in my TEDx talk. I try to do it a little bit with Instagram and it's like make nutrition fun again. I mean, <laughs> whoa, bro. I know it's just like, it's like this, you know, everyone's made it so complicated in like this war zone of like what really is insulin sensitivity and my diet's more insulin sensitive than yours and all these like mechanistic discussions. And it's like, oh my God, nobody wants to do all of this. Let's be real. And so just sort of to bring a little bit of fun to it. And I think that's also by no restrictions and allowing you to have some self-autonomy. And I don't know, I hope that's out there. And I like to hear stories like that and that people really are excited about it because it's like, yeah, I just sort of feel like I've done 15 years of nutrition drudgery. So it does, <laughs> it does feel, it, it. it feels drudgery, you know, and I'll just tell you that, um, it's a little trickier now sometimes because I just don't have access as much, but mine is the eight by 800 and that's, <laughs> that's and you right. know this and I, that means I've been trying to get eight different kinds of vegetables and fruits in a day and 800 grams mm -hmm. of those different kinds. And it's the German volume training. <laughs> it's the German so eight by 800. Um, and I just, you know, I just, I, once again, just thank you for, uh, spinning this into a really digestible lack of you know, pun intended mm -hmm. um actionable practicable you know methodology that really does put the sort of the cart behind the horse correctly mm -hmm. and i just want i just want to appreciate that you, you know out of the the chaos and mayhem and division and tribalism you've come up with an approach that is so agnostic so thank you so much Awesome. Thank you. So EC, before we let you go, I know you teach a course called Nutrition Essentials Masterclass. What is mm -hmm. that? Who's it for? Mm -hmm. um, give us a little summary. Yeah. Yeah. It was just almost like a data dump of what I think people should know about nutrition. And uh, it's divided into two halves. Uh, first half is more theory. And then the second half is how to put it into practice. And it's direct to consumer. So individuals take it. Um, and it, cause it includes like an eight week diet program they can implement directly. And of course it includes the 800 gram challenge and lazy macros and actually macros. So yeah. Great. Well, I mean, that seems like a good place that people could start if they want to try your program. So we'll obviously link to that in our show notes. Uh, before we let you go, tell us what's next for you. What are you working on? Yeah. So, um, I think you've known, I've kind of had the challenges out there for gyms, both the 800 gram challenge and the lazy macros. Um, gyms and, and I communities, think you, right? It doesn't have to be a gym. Yeah. Correct. That's a good point. Um, 
And I think they've been great and people seem to have liked them. But then what I realize is it's for a limited length of time. Like you run it for a month and then it's over. So what I'm launching in the next couple of weeks is an affiliate program where people can onboard their members to nutrition by using my resources. Um, and so they can kind of outsource nutrition continuously as opposed to having to do it in a set challenge time frame. So I'm pretty excited about that. One of my favorite pictures of you is sort of this ridiculous laugh that you have where you're throwing your head back. <laughs> and it's like when people say they've won the 800 gram challenge or they're tired of eating the 800 gram challenge or, you know, and I think what I appreciate is that sort of the gamification of this, you know, and mm -hmm. I, Juliet knows I, I'm an only child and I detest like four games. Like Juliet's like, let's play risk. I'm like, I'm dead. I'm over here. I'm, no, thanks. <laughs> but this resets every single day. And I really have appreciated that you never win nutrition. You don't win health. You just keep playing better and better. And some days, man, there's been a few days where I'm like, wow, I have not eaten a vegetable or fruit today. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it happened. And, uh, and then the next day I'm back on, back on the 800 grams. I get to sort of reset my food quality every day. And I, I think that that's sort of lost in this, this notion that, you know, the sustainability of this thing is really yeah. the, the crux piece. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I mean, I think any success that I've had in any sort of either academically, professionally, or even nutritionally is not because I'm like that skilled or that because I'm that perfect. It's just because I keep doing it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's some of my main message with this. It's like, we don't need perfection, but we do need you to kind of commit to kind of a basic standard. Yeah, people like to get heroic, but they're definitely not consistent. <laughs> yeah, no. Yes. Uh, EC, where can listeners find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, optimizemenutrition.com and then that same handle on the social medias. <laughs> Perfect. Well, again, um, thank you for being the voice of reason in this mad world of nutrition and keep it up. We're just such huge fans. Thank you guys. Stay healthy out there. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.